Welcome to Joy Christian Center. We're so glad you joined us today. If you're ever in the St. Cloud area, please join us for one of our 9 or 1045 a.m. services. Our services last about an hour. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you. something almost half of you have ah all right did i do it did you know that there's only two fears that you're born with this is researchers smart people have somehow figured this out that human beings are born with two fears only two fears and the rest are taught you learn to be afraid of stuff the first fear that that uh, uh, you're born with is the fear of falling and the second fear is the fear of loud noises. Those two fears are fears that supposedly every, every human being is born with. And, and, and not only that, and I don't know, you probably have, how many of you have kids? All right, a lot of you do. So how many of you ever sat down with little Billy or Susie and, and, and you said, all right, now, you know, sweetheart, I'm going to teach you how to be selfish. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this toy. And then I'm going to take that toy back from you. When I take that toy back from you, I want you to scream really loudly, and we'll all say the word together. It's mine. And all the parents said, yeah, that's right. We, we never had to teach our kids to do that, did we? We didn't have to teach them to be selfish. We didn't have to teach them to scream and cry, it's mine, it's mine, I want. We, we haven't had to do that. Why? Because that seems to be another thing that human beings are born with. We are born with the ability to be selfish. We're born with the need to think of me first, aren't we? And that's, that's, that's a tough thing to get out of sometimes when, when we've, you know, <laughs> we've spent our whole life thinking about who? Me. me. Yeah, where's that song? I don't know. I kind of wanted to play that song this morning. I, I wanted, whatever, once in a while I wanted it to be about me or I. What is that song? Anyway, if you know that song, you shouldn't listen to that kind of music. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's bad for your spirit. Anyway, uh, and so in thinking about this series that we're kind of launching this morning, I went way back, and I'm going to apologize right away for the audio, but we've got some audio and video, and it's from last century, so you know, it's, it's old stuff. But I think that, that uh, you, you're, when we see this first one, you're going to kind of hear something that, for some of you, if you're kind of over the age of what something, then you'll remember this. So if you'd go ahead and play that first. Uh, Patty, pickles, 
Lettuce and onion sesame all seed bun. I think they're describing a big... <laughs> to all these patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Say that again. To all these patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. To all these patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, onions, pickles, onions on a little... McDonald's Big Mac. The big sandwich with the great big taste that everybody's talking about. Sesame seed bun, and we forgot the onions. Yes, it did. Yes, it did say onions. Are you sure? It, it, it said onions. <laughs> All right. To all these patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. McDonald's Big Mac. The great big sandwich with a great big taste. Lettuce. Pickle. Cheese. Action. Big Mac. You deserve a break today at McDonald's. <laughs> Where your dollar gets a break every day. How many of you remember that commercial from way back in the day? Like I said, it was from last century. It was at least not black and white. So anyway, in, in 19, I think it was 1973, McDonald's, or no, I'm sorry, in the late 60s, McDonald's uh, introduced the Big Mac. And McDonald's became known for its automation. And, and it didn't matter what restaurant you went to, uh, in what part of the country you went to, if you ordered a Big Mac, you got two all-beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. That's what you got whether you you're surprised that I would know that come on now there we all do don't we I mean I can do the 50 states in rhyme too I mean Alabama no my wife's like no she's heard it so many times what I've been everywhere man travel I've done no all right so all right well, we just, if you're a guest with us this morning, we do shout out songs, you know, I, I take requests, so, no, actually I don't. So anyway, let me get back to my message, because I'm already wasting my 30 minutes that, that uh, I have to get, cram my three-hour message into. So, uh, uh, and, and so, in, in uh, the late 60s, the Big Mac came out, and McDonald's was known for automating the hamburger business, and if you've ever studied or looked after some of those things, they became kind of pioneers in the whole thing of, of consistency, and, and, you know, just, I mean, they had racks of burgers and you walked in and you told them and, and they just, you know, you, but then in 1973, the game changed and there was another restaurant by the name of Burger King and Burger King came out with this commercial. Go ahead and play it. Two Whopper Juniors and four Coca-Cola. And would I have to wait long if you made one Whopper with no pickle and no lettuce? No, sir. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. Oh, well, in that case, could I have the other Whopper with extra ketchup? Sure. We can serve your broad beef Whopper fresh with everything on topper any way you think is way. Now that's the way to do things, our way. Have it your way, have it your way, at Burger King, You know, outside of just the obvious, I mean, I, I watched those two commercials a couple times, I was like, was it really that bad? <laughs> I do not remember that being that cheesy back then. It's like, are you kidding me? 
And I've never walked into a Burger King, saw anyone or heard anyone that, you know, could sing like that or anything. But, but, but my whole point in all of those things is that something began to change in the whole customer service world. And, and you know, the customer is king and the customer is always right. I've walked into places that sometimes I have felt like this is where customer service went to die. Because there isn't any. I mean, you take the service right out of customer service here. And I think we've all had that experience because we're pretty used to, like the song said, you know, having it our way. We want it how we want it. And we're actually kind of surprised if we don't get it the way that we want it. And, and, and there's been a tremendous, uh, uh, you know, over the last probably 30 years or so, a lot of studies, a lot of, a lot of information that's been put out about really how to meet customers' needs and customer service and all of those things that have really helped to build businesses. And how many of you appreciate customer service? Amen. And you appreciate being appreciated for spending your hard-earned cash in places like that, right? And, and we all like that. But here's, here's kind of where I want to go with this this morning, because if we're not careful, that kind of mentality, the have-it-your-way mentality, can kind of follow us into our religion. It can follow us into our Christianity. I, I shared this, I don't know, it was quite a while ago, but I, I want to reiterate something that I, I remember saying probably within the last year, maybe year and a half. When I got born again, when I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, I did not get born again so that I would be a better person. I was roughly about 20 years old when I finally meant business with God and I said, all right, God, I'm going to give you the rest of my life. And I didn't do it because I was going through some traumatic experiences that I was so desperate that I just had to, I just had to turn my life over to God because it was so, I was only 20 years old. It wasn't that screwed up. In fact, actually, to be totally honest with you, actually, it was kind of going good. But I remember this thought, this is why I made Jesus the Lord of my life. And, 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 and I'm almost a little bit embarrassed to say this today, but, but this was, in a nutshell, and it's, it was probably bigger than this or different than this, but, but, but if you could just distill it down into just kind of a thought or a statement, this was my thought. I'm probably going to be miserable on, for the rest of my life on planet Earth. I'm not going to be able to have any more fun. I'm not going to be able to do anything that I want to do, but I know that spending eternity in hell is going to be a lot worse. And so because of that, I guess I'll get saved. Because of that, I guess I'll turn my life over to Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. And, 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 and you know, unfortunately, that was a lot of the theology that was going around at, at that time. That, that, you know what, you know, turn or burn, and that's the truth. There, you have two choices in eternity, smoking or non-smoking. That's your choices when it comes to eternity. And you have this life to make that decision. But what I had heard was that I'm going to have to quit doing. I'm going to have to stop doing. I can't have any more fun, but I guess if I make Jesus the Lord of my life, then at least I can, you know, live forever in heaven, and I guess it's supposed to be better, but, you know, I kind of want to get married, and I want to experience kids, and I want to have all those, as if, you know, getting married, that's an awesome thing, having kids, great moment and experience in life, but, but it, I don't believe it compares to heaven. There's nothing in this life that compares to heaven. There's nothing in this life that compares to eternity with God, amen? Nothing at all. But yet my mindset was not that I want to be better, that I want to have more peace, that I want to, that wasn't my mindset. My mindset was I don't want to, I don't want to spend eternity in hell. That was my mindset and everything in my spiritual life was centered around one thing and one thing only and that was this little circle right here. It was all about me, all about mine, all about my number one obsession, me. 
Anyone relate? Now, God wants to challenge us in that. God wants us to take us on a journey and transition us from me to we, and eventually you. I want to share a story with you from the Bible in Mark chapter 6, excuse me, Mark chapter 6, and uh, it's a story that probably all of you have heard at least uh, bits and pieces of it, and you maybe know something about it, but I, I want to pull a couple of things from here that I think will help us on this journey, because if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, and I hope that you have, and I know that every Sunday we have people that... Um, that, that are here in different stages of their spiritual journey with the Lord. And, and some are just kind of checking out Christianity. We welcome you to check it out. We welcome you to ask questions. We welcome you to observe other people. And, and yet, uh, for those of you that have made Jesus the Lord of your life, those of you that have accepted him as your Savior, you've been born again. You've said yes to him. However, we want to uh, say those words. When that decision has been made, you begin a journey. And, and part of that journey is going to deal with the difficult moments of our lives. And part of that journey will be some of the inside work that has to be done so that we can become more. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? Anyone? All right, that's, that's all, a lot of you. That's, that's more than normal that raise their hands. So that's awesome. So we finally found something that works. I mean, I say, how many of you really want to be like Jesus? I, I just like to see the hands go up. Yes, I see those hands. Thank you very much. All right, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had, to been, what they had taught. Here are the disciples. They're coming together as kind of a staff meeting with Jesus. They've been sent on assignments. And, and as they had gone out and done the things, they were now bringing back a report of what they had done, what they had accomplished, where they'd been, all the things. And verse 31 says, And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and and rest a while. They had been working. They'd been out doing preaching and ministry. And, and any of you that have ever been involved in any kind of ministry know that sometimes you get tired. And so here the disciples are. They're tired. Jesus recognizes that. And he says, I want you to come to this place and I want you to rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. I, I don't want to rush past this. I want to paint a picture for you this morning. I like this word hangry. I mean, have you ever been so hungry, you get angry? Anyone? I hate that when that happens, but it happens. It's a real thing, and it's a real, it should be a real word, hangry. I'm hungry, and I'm getting angry. Feed me now. I think the disciples were kind of at that point because they were tired, and they were well, hangry, but they were hungry. Actually, Jesus said hungry. I'm adding hangry. All right, but anyway, it's good either way. For there were many coming and going. There were a lot of people coming and going. There's a lot of needs. There's a lot of stuff going on, and they didn't even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. Why? Because they were tired and they were hungry, and Jesus wanted to give them a break. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. So here's the picture. They get in the boat so they could go to a deserted place so that they could rest. And, and when they get to the deserted place, the deserted place isn't deserted anymore. And they were going there because they were tired and they were hungry. And now instead of having a, a chance to rest and eat, now they've got a whole bunch of people there. And, and, and I like this in verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude. Everybody say great multitude. That's more than it's in, in here. There's a lot of people. It's huge. He's like, wow, there's a lot of people here. I don't know what the disciples were thinking. At, well, we'll know what the disciples were thinking here in just a moment. But Jesus, and this is what's so, so special about Jesus, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. 
And why was he moved with compassion? Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And do you know what happens to sheep without shepherds? Sheep without shepherds get scattered. They get fleeced. They get separated from every, everyone or everything else, and, and they can succumb to the, ta- the attacks of wolves and different things like that. And so Jesus had compassion on them. And so because he was compassionate, because he saw these scattered, wounded sheep, he did something for them. Notice these words. So he began, he began to teach them many things. When Jesus was moved with compassion, when he saw people with need, he didn't begin to create meals on wheels. He didn't begin to create, now I'm not against meals on wheels, not against social organizations, but that's not the first thing he did. That was not his response when there were people with needs. When he saw people with needs, he began to teach them, not just teach them, he began to teach them many things. And I want to tell you this morning, you need to know that about me, this about me, and you need to know this about this church. We believe, number one, that the teaching of the Word of God is designed to get you out of every problem that you have in your life. It does not matter what side of the tracks that you were born on. It doesn't matter whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or not. It doesn't matter what your mama did, your daddy did, your grandpa did. It doesn't matter what the county said. It doesn't matter what the government says. What matters is what God said. And that's why you need to be taught not just one thing, not just occasionally, but you need to be taught many, many, many things. But the disciples were what? And and tired, which goes together. When you put together, tired and hungry equals hangry. And Jesus was teaching what? Many Many things. Many things. And I don't know about you, but I have a vivid imagination that's been on caffeine. And so I see this little picture begin to develop in my head because I've been tired and hungry. And I've been around needy people. And I've been around preachers who want to teach many things. Which adds to the hangriness. And I think the 12 are going like this. He's teaching many things. We've seen Jesus get on a roll before. And there's somebody's going... Some of them are cutting, nodding off. Now, that wouldn't happen probably with Jesus' teaching. <laughs> Verse 35. When the day was now far spent, it's getting late. And Jesus has been teaching many things. He's on, man, he's going on and 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 on. When the day, if you've, ever, if you've never been a preacher, that's actually easy to do. I just want you to know that, all right? <laughs> And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. Remember, Jesus, we went to this deserted place so that we could rest and eat, and we're not being able to rest and eat, and all the people got here before we did. This deserted place is no longer deserted. It's now populated. But they they said, kind of in reminding him of this, this is a deserted place, and, and, you know, whoo, look at the time. Wow. (laughs) Verse 36, Uh, Jesus, could you send these people away? that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. I think really, because this is what we all do, when our selfishness, when our desire for me is being challenged, we don't want to be such a bad Christian that we want to say, well, you know, I don't really like this, and I just want my way. We don't want to do that. 
I think the disciples were kind of going like this. They were going like, you know, Jesus, we love it when you teach. We love it when you get on a roll. And we love it when you teach many, many, many things. And we love being in this deserted place. And Jesus, you know us. We would stay here all day and all night. But the people, they're hungry. And they're tired. And it's getting late. And this is a deserted place. We need to get them to the mall. We need to get, get them to wherever it is so that they can eat. Because we'd stay here all day, Jesus. We're not, you know, but, but the people, the others, the other people. You know, not me, but, you know, everyone else. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, you know, everyone else says, you know, you find out it's like two. <laughs> and sometimes that everyone else, those two can sound really, really, really loud also. I just want you to know that. But everyone else is saying they're talking about being hungry and, and, and the hour is late and all those things. And so, like us, the disciples weren't thinking about the crowd The disciples weren't thinking about the compassion of Jesus. The disciples were thinking of probably, they were thinking about what? Or who? Me. And I don't think that's too far from where a lot of us live. We're not really thinking about the masses. We're not thinking about the crowds. We're not thinking about Jesus. We're thinking about me. And I want you to know that's okay because that's where we all start. But it's not okay to stay there. Jesus wants more of that, and he wants more from your life for that. And so here's what I think is so important, and it's, it's something that, that we look at this miracle, and we, we have been so maybe religiously brainwashed in this. We've been so uh, uh, accustomed to hearing it a certain way. But here's what happens, because they're not thinking about the crowds. They're really, I think, thinking about themselves. But verse 37, after they had d- diagnosed the problem, the people, they're hungry, and, and here's our plan. Our plan is you send them away so that they can have their need met somewhere else. And so Jesus turns the table on them in verse 37, but he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, the very first thing that we find out in this story is that they were tired and they were they were hangry. They were tired and they were hungry. Now, I don't, speaking of being hungry, I don't think, I don't think that they had eaten yet. I think that if they were hungry when this whole thing started, they're hungrier now. They're at their point of need, and Jesus says, I know that you guys are tired, and I know that you guys are hungry, but there's a job to do, and I want you from that place of being so hungry, I want you to meet their need. Can I tell you, as a Christian, that's tough. When you encounter people that are hurting, and you're hurting. When you encounter people that are spiritually hungry or spiritually tired or have been beaten up and battered in life and you encounter them, but you're feeling the same way. And God says, I want you to step outside of your need and I want you to look at the need of the masses, of the crowd. I want you to look at me and I want you to look at that need. And Jesus basically says, I want you to take care of it. I want you to do something about it. And of course, in my vivid imagination, I see a Three Stooges moment where they're like, whoop, 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 bumping into each other. It's like, what are we going to do? Notice what Jesus says. Don't rush past this. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? or about That's about eight months' wages. Should we go buy that and give them something to eat? Because by now, and actually we'll find out later, there were 5,000 men in the crowd, but estimations is that there's about 20,000 people that were in the crowd at that moment. That's a daunting task when there's that many people around. And verse 38, 
there's, there's something here that, that is so important to me that I want to try to get over to you. Verse 38, he said to them, basically, they'd already given him all the reasons that we can't. We don't have the money. It's too big. You just need to send them away so that they can do that. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. 20,000 people, and they found five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, my first question, how long would that take? How long would it take to go through 20,000 people and say, hey, you got any food? I mean, really, how long would that take? And remember, these guys are tired and they're hungry and there's 20,000 people. Now, Jesus didn't ask the question for, their, for his own benefit because he knew what was in the crowd. He knew what was, actually, he knew the hidden food that was in the crowd. I can't believe that there were 20,000 people, and out of 20,000 people, I, I think, again, human nature being human nature, it's like, Martha, 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 Martha whoa, 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 hold that back. Don't let anybody else know that you got that. Because, you know, we're in, we're in a church service. They're going to want your money. They're going to want your fish. They're going to want your bread. They're going to, you know, be careful. Hold that back. He knew everything that was in that crowd. It wasn't for his benefit that he wanted to find out. And when they came back and they gave the report that there's five loaves and two fishes, Jesus did not go, whew, it's going to be a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be. 20,000 filet fish sandwiches, man, we need more than five loaves of bread and two fish. <clears throat> and I think that is a, you know, if it was today, the disciples would be, anybody got anything gluten-free? <laughs> Organic? All right, we'll take white bread. Don't judge us. <laughs> I don't know how long that would take, but it just makes me chuckle in my life. It just makes me chuckle in the inside. I like it. But then he did something, and here's, here's look, at the person next to you, look at the person next to you and say, appreciate the process. You see, we want the miracle. We want the impossible. We want God just to snap his fingers, wave his wand, whatever it would take, we want to get under the spout where the glory comes out. We want God to do something, but there's generally a process that he wants us to go through. And so look at that person again and say to them, appreciate the process. I, I just have to, don't fight the process. So here, there's a crowd and they're hungry. The disciples, out of their own need, they're now being asked to minister to this crowd. They're being asked to do something they feel is impossible to do. And then Jesus says, I want you to find out what is in the crowd. Can I tell you something? I believe with all of my heart, I believe that every need that this church has for the season that this church is in is right in the crowd. It's in you. It's in you. And see, not only did Jesus ask the disciples to find out what was in the crowd, it wasn't for his benefit, but I think it was for their benefit. What's here? And you need to ask yourself that question, what's, what's here? What's here? Because whatever here is in here is going to drive you from the me to the we. Whatever's on the inside of you is going to determine the direction of your life. But, but many times things happen in life that, that, that steal that from us. And so then he said in verse 39, he commanded them to make all of them sit down in groups on the green grass. I can just hear this. The, the 12. Jesus, I want you to take these 20,000 people and I want you to divide them into groups of 150. And I can hear, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why in the heck are we make, why not 100, why not 500? That'd be far easier, 1,000. Then we'd only have 20 groups. I mean, there's always people thinking about that kind of stuff. Why? I don't know, I don't know. And there's other people probably in the crowd, I don't even like fish, I want chicken. 
Because there's a lot of people who only want their need met the way that they want it met, not the way God wants to meet it. There are a lot of people who, who reject God meeting their need because it doesn't look like God's meeting their need. It looks like God's asking them to get into a group of 100 or 50, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to do it God's way. We want to have it our way. Hold the grace and hold the faith, Lord, we don't want... I don't know, there's probably a song there, but anyway... He commanded them to sit, uh, make them all sit down in groups on the green grass, and so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. Jesus had his own personal dream team, uh, the 12, and they said, all right, we're going to put you all in groups. There's a process that happens. Just like in our church, we, this is what we believe. We want you to know God. Every single person and every Sunday, that is our job. That is our goal. It's to help people take one more step to know God. But after they know God, like Jesus, we taught many things. Jesus wants to teach you many things because those many things will bring freedom into your life. And and, and your life won't be the same anymore. But it doesn't stop there. He wants you to discover purpose. Why am I here? And then finally, all of those things go together so that you can make a difference. Now, the things that I've shared with you so far, and, and here's what I love about our church, because our, our people don't make Jesus the Lord of their life because of one thing most of the time. It's because of everything. I believe this church starts from the top of the hill, and it ends at the top of the hill. Most people think, most consumers think that church starts whenever they get here. Well, we think differently as leaders. We think that, that church starts at the top of the hill, and it ends at the top of the hill. I, I want to, there's a, a a little video, we call it a joy story, we, we want you to watch, and, and this kind of helps to paint a little bit of a picture of why we do some of the things that we do. was the one who introduced me to Joy. Um, so I remember her coming home because we lived together and she was saying, oh my gosh, Caitlin, like I just found this amazing church. She was like, it was just so realistic. So then that following Sunday, I went with her for the first time and it was just, just a feeling you get, just even walking through those doors. It's just the most like, welcoming people like you're you know you're not judged for anything it's just you know I've went every Sunday since introduced my brother Jeremy to here now my boyfriend Dan also goes here my roommate still comes here I pick my mom up from Long Prairie she comes down here all the time with us too and it's just it's just an amazing church Sunday morning's experience has definitely gotten me the closest I've ever been with God just on how the teachings are and everything. Um, it shows that you can make mistakes and God isn't gonna just look at you like, oh, you're such a bad person, you can be forgiven. And it's just, it's just, it's hard to explain because it's just so amazing the feeling when you actually know how God is and what he can do for your life. The energy is insane, you know, the, the pastors, you know, they're not only just preaching in a they're getting excited. They're into it. You know that the, you know, faith is just so extreme in them, and the way they present it is just, you just eat that up so fast, and it just gets you so excited. When you sit down and then you see that there's a band playing, 
it just it everyone should want to go to church to be able to hear about these songs and they're not just songs you feel like you're you know one big happy family when everybody's singing and preaching and raising their hands it's just it's just that feeling that you get and i just recommend it especially with the baptism just do it i mean <laughs> It's changed our lives so dramatically. I even got baptized in my pants when everyone else was wearing shorts. I wasn't prepared for this. I was fully, fully dressed. Like I had all my dress, my dress shirt on, my dress pants, nice shoes, everything, hair done, makeup on. <laughs> and after a little bit, just I know it was just the Holy Spirit that my mind was just like, Gosh, Kaylee, you're gonna regret it. You're gonna regret it. I mean, I can always do it next time. I'm just like, nope, no, you're not. You're gonna do it right now. It felt so amazing just going underneath the water and just feeling that you're completely redeemed and that uh, Jesus is your is your Lord and Savior. Um, it just was seriously one of the most amazing things in my life, and that's what made me grow my relationship even stronger. Becoming close and having such a great faith in God has changed me so much in this past year than it has done in my entire life. I'm still trying to get other people because, like you said, it, it's, it isn't about just you in your path of God. It's about spreading the word and bringing joy to other people in knowing God. Amen. And there they are, right there, at home in the middle there, amen. <clears throat> Thank you for that little commercial about baptism also that's uh, happening next week. If you've never been baptized in water, that's one of the first things that Jesus asks us to do as a follower of Christ is to, to follow him in water baptism. And uh, there's a sign-up sheet out there. We'd love to talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, I want to bring this kind of message home uh, a little bit because there's, there's a piece that that you know, as you heard their testimony, and, and, and you know, I think that there's a lot of people that, that start out with their walk with Jesus, first of all, with a lot of questions, perhaps, or, or what am I doing, why am I doing this? I, I recently told somebody that most people don't call the church because they just won the lottery, and they're not sure how to deal with that. Most people don't call the church when they've had some you know, great news that they've gotten a job, a promotion, and a raise. Most people call the church when there's a problem. And that's where a lot of people start their walk with the Lord. And there are a lot of people that we come in contact with every day that have been so broken by life that they can't see beyond the pain. They can't see beyond the shame. They can't see beyond the pain that's there in their lives. And, and <clears throat> we try to deal with that as the best, the best that we can. And, and I know that, that as people come through this, the doors of this church, they feel like, am I going to be judged because I'm not perfect. I'm not, and, and again, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I don't want us to ever become a church that's only for church people. We need to be comfort, comfortable with people who come here whose lives are hurting, whose lives are broken, whose lives are damaged. We need to be comfortable with people who come here whose lives are sort of like our lives might have been when we made Jesus the Lord of our life. Amen? That was kind of weak. <laughs> Amen. Because we're not perfect, are we? Now, I want you to notice what happens here. And there's a, there's a, in verse 40, 41, 
And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and he broke the loaves. He took what everybody knew wasn't enough. He took what everybody understood was not big enough, wasn't enough for the masses, wasn't enough for the crowd. And I think that a lot of times we feel like we don't have, I know as a pastor, I, so often I feel like we just don't have enough. We don't have enough volunteers. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough. But I, I need you to understand this morning that if you live your life complaining about what you don't have, you will never come to appreciate what you do have. If I, as a pastor, live my life pastoring a church wishing I had more of this or more of that or less of whatever, I'll never find out or discover what it is that God really has for us. But I want you to notice that the miracle happened after the bread was broken. I say that again. The miracle happened after the bread was broken. Amen. What does that mean? Empty and broken is where we all start with Jesus. Empty and broken is where we all start. Nothing good. It doesn't matter how good your life may have been, how wonderful a person you may have been. Your life without Christ is empty. And this life gives us all kinds of opportunities to fill our life with things that the world says are meaningful, things that the world says are fun, things that the world says is the way, the path to peace. But there's nothing there that lasts. And so that ends, us, ends up leaving us broken. It ends up leaving us empty. It ends, ends up leaving us a shell of what God has for us. But there's hope in that. Because Jesus can take your life. He can take my life. He can take the life. I look at my life. It's not big enough. It's not enough. It's not where it should be. So I just all of those things that I look at. And yet Jesus says, if you will just give me that. I don't have enough time. But Jesus says, if you'll just give me a little bit of the time that you do have, I'll take it. I'll multiply it. I'll bless it. Lord, I don't have a lot of money. But Jesus says, if you just give a little bit of that, I will make it more. I will make it enough. Don't complain about what God brings into your life. Don't devalue because that's the seed to a miracle in your life. But moving from broken, moving from empty into what God has for you, that's a process. And you have to engage in that process. You have to be willing to believe that God's big enough. You have to be willing to believe that God's grace is great enough and his power more than enough that he can take your empty and he can take your broken and he can take your not enough and put it together with other people that are broken and other people that are empty and he can fill that and he can bless it and he can multiply it so that when people walk through the through the doors, whether of this church or they engage us in conversation, there's something that is alive in us. But there's one more thing that I want you to understand because the disciples, they started out hungry and they started out tired. And Jesus said, in that tiredness, in that hunger, I want you to feed other people. I want you to bless people from that place that's empty in your life. And we get to the end of the story, and they fed the 5,000, and they, they, they end up with 12 basketfuls. And then Jesus says, we, we need to get in the boat and go to the other side. And they get in the boat, and they begin to get to the other side. And a great big storm arises. And the disciples are now afraid. And they're saying, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus said to them, why were you afraid? Well, Jesus, we're fishermen. We understand what a storm does. We thought we were going to die. And he goes, I know, but why were you afraid? 
Well, because this is a bad storm, and bad storms mean death. I understand all of that, but how come you're afraid? I think that perhaps those 12 basketfuls of bread and fish were still in the boat with them. And here's the thing. Jesus, I think Jesus doesn't want to, uh, here's where a lot of Christians, man, they can see God, they can experience God, they can know God. They can experience the miracles of God. They can experience the presence of God. They can experience the blessing of God, but they really don't know God. They can go all through the church motions, but they don't know God. In verse 51, end of the chapter, 52, it says, for they, not, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. They didn't understand what the loaves and the fish meant. They didn't understand that the Savior, the powerful one who was with them in that deserted place that multiplied the bread and fish, was the same one who was with them in the midst of the storm. They didn't know him. So I want you to bow your heads and to close your eyes this morning because, well, here's my, my thought. When did Jesus get to eat? Jesus ate after everybody else did. Jesus ate after every, uh, I want you one more time, just lift your heads up and look around for a second. How many of you want to be like Jesus? Jesus ate after everybody else did. Jesus ate, Jesus was ministered to, the disciples were ministered to after everyone else. This challenges our Christianity because we all start out with that, what's in it for me. But he wants us to move from me it's all about me, to we. Because we is always greater than me. We can always do more than one can. One can't do much, everybody can do a lot more. Every, everything, everything that this church needs, it's right here. We encourage you to get involved in the growth track, get involved in, 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 in using that gift that God has for you. Amen? Because there's something good in you. And you might feel empty and you might feel broken. You might feel shattered. <laughs> God's got purpose greater than you could imagine. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've made. We are <laughs> so glad. Thankful for the grace that's in our heart and in our life in this place. We thank you that you have taken the many broken and you've filled us and you've blessed us. You've given us so much so that when other people come in, they can partake of the blessing. They can, they can receive ministry in their point of need. Father, I know that there are those that are here today that are in that place of being shattered and broken. We know that the, that the cure for that is in knowing you, making Jesus the Lord of their life. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I want to pray a simple prayer with you, lead you in a prayer. And that's the first step. The first step is acknowledging your needs. So if you're here today and say, Pastor, I, I don't know exactly everything that, that means to make Jesus the Lord of my life, but I want to surrender everything that I am to him. Would you just lift your hand up real high? I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Thank you for those couple hands. Yes, sir, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Just hold your hand up real high for a second. I can see it. Yes, sir, thank you. I'm going to ask you to all pray this prayer with me. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I feel empty, broken, but I believe today you meet me where I'm at. I, I believe today Jesus died for me. He is my answer. So today, 
I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose again. And I believe that he's seated at God's right hand. And I thank you that it is what I believe that starts me on this process of becoming who God made me to be. So thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sin, making me brand new on the inside. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hand today, others that have prayed this prayer. And Father, we believe that this is the first step. We believe that this is just the beginning of a journey and a life uh, with you and what it means to know you as Savior and as Lord. And we thank you for that today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you made a decision today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we would love to hear about it. Please email us or contact us through our website, greatjoy.org.